What's up, everybody? Better late than never, I guess. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast coming at you at a special time, albeit a little later than we initially proposed. And that is on me. We always talk about, is it John late this week? Is it me? It's always it's always me. Let's just be honest about that. I always run behind. Uh, I, and I feel bad for my colleague there, John. How you doing, buddy? No, wait, hold on. If if we're doing this earlier than we usually do, but it's later than the earlier time, <laughs> it's still technically early. You know? <laughs> It's like the tree, you know, tree fall in the woods. If no one's there, is it really, you know, does it I mean, no one sound? knows that we're late until we admit that we're late. You know, it's, it's just yeah, our accountability point. getting in the way of it. So that's a, that's a good point. That's a good point. Well, I appreciate your flexibility. I appreciate the flexibility of our listeners. Uh, kind of have a jam packed day, but we've got a lot to get to on this show, which is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, part of the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network. And you can get all of the Cincy Jungle podcasts on your favorite audio streamer, as always, on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of the major ones we are on there. And then, of course, if you like the video platforms, you can like the Cincy Jungle Facebook page or click the icon underneath John's side of the the video there by that SB Nation Cincy Jungle logo to subscribe. And then, of course, you can hit the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available, we're, we're pumping out stuff multiple times per week on both the YouTube channel and the audio side of things. So hopefully you're enjoying what our show is putting out, Matt Minnick is putting out, and all kinds of different stuff. We, uh, we appreciate the support on the channel and for this show in particular. We're going to get to a lot tonight. Uh, we've got a prospect profile of a little bit of a lesser known guy. So we'll talk about him in a little bit, we're going to talk about positional needs and maybe where those stack up on the totem pole, so to speak. And then, of course, we've got some other news and a remember when to get to as well. So let's just hop right into it, John Sheeran. Some interesting and optimistic quotes this week from offensive coordinator Brian Callahan, kind of echoing some similar sentiments from Frank Pollock that we heard a little bit earlier this offseason about the progress of Jackson Carmen and potentially future outlooks of Deontay Smith and Jackson Carmen going forward on the offensive line. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting when he mentioned about the three primary reserves of this offensive line going forward. You got your Deontay Smith, you got your Hakeem Adeniji, and you got your Trey Hill. And with with Smith for starters. He was drafted as a tackle out of ECU, and then he kind of found himself in that battle for right guard last year because, I mean, Xavier Suofilo, for Christ's sake, was starting there. So, I mean, it was anyone's <laughs> job at that point. And he just, you know, kind of fell into there, not expecting to, but they really liked him there. But he was drafted as a tackle. He's got the frame of a traditional tackle. And I think the plan, at least for the offseason program, is to get him in a more centralized focus at that spot. But... I think he made it, made it clear as well that if it comes down to it, like he's very much still in that competition at left guard. It just seems like based off of these comments that Jackson Carmen might be in the driver's seat because of Deontay Smith is taking more of a focus at tackle and Hakeem Adeniji and Trey Hill are going to be spending most of the time in the interior. Of course, Trey Hill is a center slash guard. He's not spending any time at tackle, but I found the Hakeem Adeniji comments to be the most interesting Anthony, Anthony, because of how much he struggled at guard last year when he was playing right guard, when they had basically no one else to play there and Jackson Carmen was not impressive enough and how it was either he was average at best, but those moments were very far and few between and everything else was just extremely underwhelming and it really limited the offense. And you have to remember this guy played four years at tackle at Kansas. He doesn't really have the traditional body of a guy who can handle strength and power inside. And the tape that we have a been at guard is not very good. Now, granted he was coming off of an injury that no one expected him to recover from so soon. And we don't know how much that played into it, but the guy has never been a guard before. And these comments kind of reaffirm that they want to continue developing him there when he clearly has been a tackle all his life. And I don't really know what to make of these. I have a couple of observations, but what, what did you think when you heard some of these things? One of the things that I, thought about and I don't know how off base I could I could look like an idiot a week from now but after what I'm going to say now and what plays out a week and a half from now but they like these guys I mean they they are committed to these players and they are committed to finding ways to make them work on the offensive line even a Hakeem Adeniji who was a day three pick a couple of years ago 
They like what he can do. They like his versatility, his flexibility. They like Deontay Smith. We knew that last year based on what he what he showed. And uh, they like Trey Hill. Trey Hill came in a couple of times last year, kind of struggled, was kind of a little bit of a penalty machine, at least on a per snap basis uh, when he was in the game, in the games and whatnot. But, you know, those guys, and then of course they're very committed to Jackson Carmen. All of that points to perhaps they feel that they have made a lot. And, and then you look at free agency and what they did on the offensive line. And you say, maybe offensive line isn't really in the early plans this year. First round pick in Zach Taylor's first draft class, offensive tackle. Last year, second round pick, Jackson Carmen, right? I mean, they've used a couple of high premium picks on offensive line, you know, standouts from the college rankings. And then they get three new starters conceivably in the, in the free agency period here. I just I, these comments to me kind of stand stand out as I, we like these these young guys that we've drafted over the past couple of years. We are committed to them, and I don't I don't know now in reading these comments. And again, I could look like an idiot a week from now. I don't know that early draft plans at offensive line is where the Bengals are necessarily going to go next week. Yeah, I feel like that's been more or less evident as the draft process went along, and obviously, free agency had something to do with that with how much they invested in the position group in free agency. And you had to figure that they're going to leave one spot open for some of these young guys to develop because in their minds, like they drafted these guys for a reason, if not to be like starters, to be valuable backups, to be versatile backups, to be active on game days and play multiple roles and wear multiple hats with Deontay Smith. It, it was interesting because of how much they liked him at guard, but I understand them wanting to keep him at tackle because that, that was their original evaluation with it. It's just weird because the original evaluation of Akima Denigy, I thought, would have been a tackle, and they've, he's right. shown nothing at guard where like it warrants keeping him there. But to me, it, it it it's either one of two things: it's either just simply an error in self scouting, which is entirely possible considering this position group that they've failed to get right for numerous years, or if they view Deontay Smith as a tackle, look at the tackles they have on the roster right now: Jonah Williams, Lyle Collins, Isaiah Prince, who's poised to make the roster again or compete for roster spot. And then you have Deontay Smith. So you have four tackles that you feel comfortable, either as starters or backups. You're pretty set there in terms of depth. And in terms of guard, as opposed to that, you have one starter in Alex Kappa, a guy that you're hoping is starting in Jackson Carmen. And then I guess Adenogy's the third. They have no depth. They have no bodies at guard. So if it's if it's a case of just recognizing that you don't have enough guys there, at least before the draft, and you want Adenogy there because he has experience there, I can kind of get behind that and understand it. But I don't really think it does Adenogy any favors if you're kind of minimizing his development at a position that he's not necessarily going to thrive in. So to me, it seems like Adenogy out of these three is the guy that has the least amount or should have the least amount of security to make the team next year. And you have to figure there's going to be some type of competition there. But I do agree with the sentiment that, you know, they drafted these guys last year for the purpose of being on the roster for multiple years to be backups or to maybe develop into starters. And it also does tell me that like with Jackson Carmen specifically, you know, they were comfortable drafting him at the top of the second round. They moved back knowing that he was probably going to be available, but that's the original evaluation of him. And then in their minds, he's going to be a starter or he's going to, they're going to give him every chance to be the starter, which tells me obviously that, yeah, the, the solution to this problem of a lack of bodies at guard isn't just drafting one of the first round, despite I think a lot of fans still wanting that. So when you go back, going back to the questions on the, uh, you know, on Hakeem Adenogy here, the, this is, this is what's a little bit interesting to me. Uh, I, I believe if I'm not mistaken, if memory serves, Adenogy was a draft pick under the previous offensive line coach, yep. correct? Uh, Jim Turner, right. So when you look at that and you look at what Adenogy did last year with a new offensive line coach, where he was playing, where he got time. And now these comments, even though these are coming from Brian Callahan, I'm wondering if this is Frank Pollock putting his stamp on this player whom he did not draft and saying, you know, this is where I just see this player fit in what we're trying to do. And, or like you said, maybe, maybe the leash is shortened a little bit this year and they may try and find someone to compete with him in those capacities. It's just interesting. Like you said, the previous offensive line coach, Jim Turner, 
drafted had a hand in drafting Akeem Adeniji, and they thought swing tackle, right? Could play ta- either tackle spot. They really liked that. And now all of a sudden, new offensive line coach, he's an interior player. And not, I mean, he's not, he hasn't been very, you know, he hasn't been very outstanding at that in that regard, but the, the role and the idea for the player has changed as the position position coach has changed. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And I feel like, I mean, these comments are being made in mid April. There's still four months until they actually put pads on. And I feel like when pads come on, like things can change then like injuries will inevitably happen and then plans have to change and you have to kind of adapt with that. And I think that's how like Deontay Smith found himself at guard in the first place. Like he didn't start last training camp at, at guard. He started a tackle and he was not very good at it because of everything that he dealt with leading up to the draft and in the off season. So with, with the Denigy, it could be a situation where if he makes the roster, it might have to be at guard. And maybe that's why they want him focused there because I guess he had experience and they give him one more off season. Hopefully this time a fully healthy off season, see what happens, but he's entering his third year. He's got no real stability or, you know, there's no real commitment to him in terms of a contract because they can cut him with minimal uh, dead hit, but Trey Hill, Deontay Smith, they're got, these guys are going to be here for at least the next year or two and hopefully find roles as valuable backups. And I think their evaluations on them include them being really talented and really versatile. And yeah, I, I think having centralized, roles and focus is good for their development it's just a matter of how much those plans are going to stay the way they are based off of how the draft goes and how injuries go these things can definitely evolve as time goes on that's a good point the the fact of you know you're concentrating really on one major job role instead of multiple and sometimes for some players especially ones who are developing i mean i think a lot of us not in in the football world but sometimes we've had jobs wherein you know, your role expands and it's you're sometimes taking on aspects of your job that really aren't or should not be your job or, you know, you're just your role expands and it just can sometimes be a little overwhelming. So, you know, I, I think that's a that's an interesting point you bring up there. Uh, I just gut feeling I'll ask you. Uh, and again, we could look kind of like dummies here in, in a week from now. But I mean, it sounded like uh, based on a comment you just said a second ago, you are expecting all of these players to be on the roster. I mean, I, I think Deontay Smith is, is pretty safe, but when we're talking Adenogy, maybe Trey Hill, you're, you're expecting those players to be on the roster come opening day 22, whether it's, you know, on the, uh, you know, the active or inactive roster, correct? Yeah. Bare minimum too, with the exception, maybe being Adenogy, maybe it's either him or Isaiah Prince or, or maybe they keep 10, maybe they get really heavy. It, did, it also depends on, if they add another guy in the draft, which we'll talk about here in a minute. But yeah, I definitely think that Smith and Hill are in the long-term plans. And maybe even Hill gets looks at left guard to be the starter there. I mean, he played guard in college. He played guard last year. It really all depends on how I think Carmen develops and how he looks when they put the pads on. And again, a lot of things can change, but I think for sure Smith and Hill makes the roster. But Adenogy shouldn't have any type of security going forward. Yeah, yeah. So... We've uh, we've got I, I went through a lot of different headlines yesterday, but there's been a couple more here that we want to we want to maybe touch on quickly before we get to, you know, draft positional needs for the Bengals and whatnot. And shout out, by the way, to Charlie Goldsmith, who was kind enough to be on our show a little while back for that uh, relaying that information that you used in that article on Cincy Jungle there, John. Go follow him at Charlie G. I think it's double underscore at Charlie G underscore underscore. So go follow him on Twitter. Of course, does a great job covering the Bengals and the Reds. So go follow him. Uh, There are a couple of just kind of uh, Bengals are interested in some of these guys. We don't have to spend a ton of time on them. And then I do want to get quickly to a three round mock draft by McShay and Kuiper because that one was really interesting. Yeah. And uh, we, you know, we, we won't spend a ton of time on that, but at least, It'll get your eyebrows raised, I think, uh, as you watch the the picks there. Quickly, the Bengals are interested in a couple. They're showing, you know, they're rounding out their visits, prospect visits and whatnot. The Bengals are showing interest. uh, And this is a little bit, I guess, interesting just because of the the position. But they are interested in South Dakota State quarterback Chris Oladokun, I think. Uh, And he also, I think, spent some time with University of South Florida you wrote this one up on Cincy Jungle, John. I will show uh, show this up here on the screen. But tell us a little bit about what's going on with this one. Quarterback. 
quarterback. How about that? A yeah, six-year that a quarterback who played at three colleges, who's also going to be 25 when the season starts. Um, this is a priority for agent at most. I don't think yeah. this guy is getting drafted. Started at South Florida. He was actually the backup to former Bengal, Quinton Flowers. When Quinton Ooh, Flowers was a quarterback. Look at that. And then he, look at then that. he converted to a running back in the NFL. But he never really caught on with South Florida, so he transferred to Samford. He was good there for a year. COVID shut down the 2020 season and moved it to 2021. He lost his job after like the first game in 2021. Then he transferred again to South Dakota State after he, ris- he was originally going to transfer, I believe, to Ken Riley's alma mater of Florida AMU. So he ends up in South Dakota State, plays a year there, gets invited to the NFLPA Bowl, doesn't get invited to the Combine. But he ran like a 4 7 He's got a cannon of an arm, apparently. But just a really old guy who's got some juice in him. I don't know. Like m- maybe he catches on to a team in camp and whatnot, and maybe makes some noise and maybe makes the practice squad. But nothing really more to see other than that. You know what this this player reminds me of? Just in hearing the profile and just kind of bounced around. Uh, it it this seems like a, and and then you look at like you said the athletic profile about the arm strength. You see Aaron Wilson here talking about the athleticism and arm strength as well. This seems like a guy who would be a perfect follow on hard knocks for a team, right? Like just a guy that you would see like grinding and wowing people in camp every once in a while and making all these kinds of plays. Does he make the roster because he's a quarterback? You know what I'm saying? Like just kind of a guy that, that would pique interest in that regard. I I don't know what made me really think about that, but um, I don't know. It just seems like a guy that would be an interesting follow through the hard knocks documentary. Yeah, he's got the story for sure. It's just a matter of like how charismatic is he? You know, is he interested right. to actually film and stuff? And we don't really know much about him, but that's the point of these meetings to get to know more about him. So if he does become available after the draft and they're like, hey, maybe we need a quarterback to push Jake Bryan a little bit. Let's see if we can bring him in. All right. And now the Bengals are they're also doing a lot of due diligence on pass catchers, both at the tight end position as well as wide receiver and uh, another virtual meeting here. These are coming a little bit more part and parcel of the meeting process with teams and rookies with Northern Iowa, kind of a smaller school guy here, wide receiver, Isaiah Weston, uh, a guy that could intrigue them there. I think he's, you see here, he's huge and he runs fast. So six foot four, 4.42 second, 40-yard dash. Look at the RAS profile here, John. I mean, that's that's small school DK Metcalf, basically. Guy who runs fast <laughs> and is explosive, but can't change direction. So if you're from northern Iowa, you better be hella explosive and really fast and just athletic in general, which I think is just the appeal here. He's also going to be like 25 years old. He was a super senior there, and he was kind of productive. So eh, maybe his athleticism gets him drafted. Maybe not, but, you know, worth a flyer on at the very least, I guess. 6'4", 210, 4.4240, leaped a 40-inch vertical. Holy moly, 9.99 RAS score by Kent Leaplatt, otherwise known as at MathBomb on Twitter, one of our favorite uh, favorites there. But my goodness, great composite size grade. Elite composite explosion grade, elite composite speed grade. Wow, a guy that will turn a lot of heads. And it says you can see here lots of interest in the six foot four, two hundred ten pound wide receiver from Justin M underscore NFL. So that is on Cincy Jungle as well. Go check that out. A guy, you know, I I don't know that he makes it too undrafted based on that athletic profile. Someone's going to take a flyer on him, I would assume. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen him play at all, and him being good being a receiver would be a nice prerequisite to him getting drafted but yeah i, I think teams are also kind of confident that it's just a giant athletic mold of clay we might as well be able to mold him yeah this could be the you know for the Bengals here this could be the odd and tate replacement um you know in terms of at least the size and definitely an improvement on the speed factor and over odd and tate there but uh we'll see if that if they want to take a shot on this guy again the reason why we note a lot of these visits and whatnot is because a lot of these guys end up lasting or, or, or going to the Bengals at, at late picks on drafted free agents. So usually where there's smoke, there's fire as it goes with the Bengals and, and some of these players they meet with here. So quickly, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this just because this is almost eye roll inducing here a little bit. But, you know, these are two of the biggest names in the NFL draft and in terms of mock drafts, etc. 
Oh boy, John, this is relayed to us from our friend Drew Garrison on Cincy Jungle here. ESPN, Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper went back and forth on a three-round mock for the Bengals. And let's just say it starts off very confusing at the beginning there. McShay goes Devin Lloyd, inside linebacker Utah with the number 31 overall pick for the Bengals. It's apparent that... uh, I don't know. McShay maybe hasn't heard of Logan Logan Wilson. I don't, I don't know. I think this is a case of well, for for starters, like again, this is a back and forth mock, so not one of these guys has full control over who goes where. And I think this is the case of this team made the Super Bowl. They don't have any pressing needs. Let me look at the top of my board. Hey, it's Devin Lloyd. Might as well give him a linebacker. You know, it doesn't hurt, I, I guess. But I mean, if he's going for accuracy here, he couldn't be further off the mark <laughs> right and then you see here tyler linderbaum the center from iowa was available uh, and he said i originally thought hard about iowa center tyler linderbaum here but lloyd slide out of the top 30 forced my hand lloyd impacts the game in so many ways and he could be the long-term answer in the middle of the Bengals defense okay well that's the number 31 pick a little bit of a head scratcher then you this go Fedarian mathis defensive tackle I, so I, this wasn't a back and forth. I, I misspoke a little bit. It looks like it was just McShay picking here. Um, so McShay going Fedarian Mathis, the defensive tackle out of Alabama. Reasoning here, there really isn't a cornerback in this range, and the Bengals could use a boost on the interior of the defensive line, especially after losing Larry Joby. Mathis's game went to another level in 21. And you can see here, as Drew Garrison notes, bringing in Mathis won't fill the need of the three technique that remains on the roster, but it it does bring a player who excels at plugging the gaps in the middle of the defensive line. You are about as confused on this one as I think a lot of people are. Well, at least Devin Lloyd is like worth a first round pick. No one should be picking Mathis before day three at most. He's 24 years old. I I would hope this game went to another level. He's, He's a man amongst boys at that point. But he's not really an athlete. He tested the seventh percentile in speed, the eighth percentile in flexibility. It was great high in PFF, and he had a decent amount number of sacks. But I, people just fall in love with these Alabama defensive tackles, and very rarely are ending them actually really special. Yeah, they're they're competent in what to do with their hands and whatnot. But if you're drafting someone at, at least this high, you have some expectation that they have high potential. And I feel like Mathis is just a guy who's going to stick around the NFL for a handful of years and be somewhat decent. You want a lot more than that at your second round pick. There's, there's always the risk of, it's kind of like when you, when you want to take, and then the Bengals went there this year in free agency by picking up a former Patriot, but it's when you get that, you know, a lot of these teams that maybe were, were lower in the wind column in previous years and had, you know, spent a lot of money on a Patriot free agent. You see them kind of fizzle out when they got away from new England and, and all of the accountability it's, et cetera, there, it's kind of the same thing with Alabama players a little bit, or, you know, it's kind of the, sum of the parts type of argument here, you know, how, how good are these players individually? Are they just on a, a ridiculously well coached and absurdly stacked team at the college ranks and maybe their play is risen because of surrounding talent. That's always a question, at least in my mind, when you, when you go for Alabama players and here we go with the third round pick, McShay (laughs) goes at corner, another Alabama player, Josh Job. Again, it's more, more or less the same. He's also 24 years old. He looks the part. He's got 33 inch arms. He's six foot, 180 pounds, basically the same, frame and size it's like a Drake or Patrick I know it's a little lazy considering what's Alabama but just an older guy who's not really athletic. I don't think I don't think he tested either so it's just it's just the pedigree man like you watch Alabama on defense all these guys look pretty good and let's let's just take him in the third round but there's nothing really here that indicates he's worth anywhere close to that pick yeah and then of course you know the the one thing that does make sense I guess in some regard is the Bengals' preference to SEC and big school players, right? I mean, they they go after these players. You've seen it based on, I mean, go look at their recent draft classes. Go look at a lot of draft classes under Marvin Lewis, under Duke Tobin. You see a lot of the major schools because they like players who excel at the highest levels in college football. I mean, sure, there are some small school players in there that they've tried to make some flyers on, but for the most part, it's, it's SEC, it's Pac-12, et cetera, that – um, you know, they, they go after, and it's mostly been an ACC as well. And, you know, it's mostly been uh, largely been SEC for the Bengals in the draft. Yeah. And I think that matters all throughout the draft as well, but that's two 
24-year-old rookies, and that would be yeah. very rare for the Bengals. Like Joe Burrow was a 24-year-old rookie, but he was Joe Burrow. Most of the time, they <laughs> like to go for guys who are young, who produce at a young age, and doing, a big, doing it against quality competition at, at big conferences definitely doesn't hurt, and that's why we've seen that a lot. But yeah, those th- all, all three selections would be very surprising, but specifically the the, the first and like, yeah, all three actually. There's, there's yeah. no differentiating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, I, that one was eye opening to me. I, I, I didn't. That was not one that blew me away there. So go check it out. I put link in the live chats for everybody to go check out the whole breakdown and all of the picks there from Todd McShay. I, you know, it was a, a back and forth sort of situation in the mock draft here for both Mel Kiper and Todd McShay, and let's just say it was not the ideal draft from at least many of our standpoints who watch and or cover the Bengals pretty closely. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. That being said, though, John, this is a pretty good tee up for the next topic. And I'm going to let you take the lead on this one because we got to talk about needs for the Bengals. Well, well, first off, I just wanted to get just real quick. Let's talk about players who might actually be drafted by the Bengals. Just, just get a quick update on a lot of basically like projecting where some of these players are going to go. And I feel like at this point, um, like the betting markets and the mock draft data, it's not really going to change over the next week. And I feel like people might need like an update uh, of where some of these lines and some of these projections kind of are. So I, I went to DraftKings and looked at their prop bets and look at some of their over-unders. And I just wanted to relay just, just a handful of players just to get like an update of where these guys are projected to go. So it, there's DraftKings over and under lines. There's also the grinding, the mocks uh, that um, Benjamin Robinson does a great job of compiling mock draft data. And he gives you like this entire leaderboard of expected draft position. So there's just a couple that stood out j- just real quick that I wanted to get to. We have Kyler Gordon and Kyer Elam that really stood out to me because now you have Kyler Gordon, who's projected to be drafted higher than Elam. We talked about Gordon last week as a potential option in the first round but now anthony he's projected over under right now is 33 and a half whereas Mm. elam is 35 and a half and i feel like elam has always kind of been in that range but just in like the last couple weeks or so you have kyler gordon kind of rising up now in that first round conversation and i think the over under for cornerbacks being drafted in the first round is also four and a half with sauce gardner Derek stingley and trent mcduffie gordon's teammate washington being the expected first three but now we're looking at a world where Kyler Gordon could be that fourth cornerback and he might be going ahead of Cincinnati. He very well could. And it's, again, what we talked about when we profiled him, it's the ability to play inside and outside. He did both. Uh, it's, it's the, you know, last year showing some nice progression, a good PFF pass coverage grade last year, the passes defended uh, going with a couple of inter- interceptions and, and the measurables, you know, uh, the measurables there. I, I had looked at an RAS profile. You had mentioned you you had you had me thinking a little bit about Kyler Gordon more after the show, and I looked up Leon Hall's RAS profile, and there, you know, in terms of flexibility and fluidity and whatnot, uh, there are some similarities there between both of those because you had mentioned you know s- some of that parallel there in some ways between those two prospects. So yeah, I mean, it's a player. I think a lot of teams will, will covet. It's just a matter that there's a little more risk with that player than some of the names that will go in front of him, obviously, especially when you talk about that four, five, two, 40 time, but a, a guy, I still think it, a lot of teams will like. Yeah. And his average draft projection, according to grinding the mocks is 32 and a half right now, whereas Elam is 33.7. And then you have Andrew Booth, who's still holding on to a 24.8 average draft uh, projection. I believe his over-under is at 26.5. And, and the the odds are basically split even. Like There's no indication whether or not they're going to go over or under that projected line. But Booth is still kind of hanging on into that late first projection, despite a lot of reports about his medical not being very clean. So if the Bengals do go cornerback at 31, it does seem to be like a three-horse race between Booth Gordon and Elam and at that point 
it's really just up to, I guess, their preference because it feels like at least at the bare minimum, two of them are going to be there. And just real quick, Logan Hall, who has been brought up recently, he was he visited the Bengals on the top 30 visit. He plays defensive tackle. The Bengals are probably going to target a defensive tackle early in the draft. But a lot of people, Anthony, still maybe aren't on board with Logan Hall being the pick at 31 because a lot of outlets like PFF and Pro Football Network and some other places have him listed in like the second round as like a, a maybe like the 70th overall player, like the 50th. I believe his average mock draft projection is in the low 50s. But DraftKings has him over under 36 and a half. So like right behind Elam and Gordon in terms of this class, a defensive tackle like Devontae White is 29 and a half that he's dropped tremendously. So no one really knows where that next defensive tackle is going to go after Jordan Davis goes off somewhere in the teens. And I don't think that Logan Hall being picked at, at the bare minimum, like the late, the early second round is far fetched anymore. And I really don't think he's going to make it to the Bengals second round pick. Hall, yeah, probably, yeah, probably not. I think that you know, there's a couple of attributes there that seem to be highly, highly coveted by NFL teams, and I just, you know, I, I don't, I don't see him making it there to the to the second round pick for the Bengals. And you know, there's been a lot of conversations amongst fans and those who maybe cover the team that maybe he is the guy that they look at at 31 or or with a move back into you know if they move back a little bit into the high second round collect another pick if if you know a lot of those corners are gone or what have you maybe they do that and that's the direction they move in be it at the end of the first or early second should they move back that seems to be a, a logical target yeah it definitely would be the ideal scenario if like multiple cornerbacks are available and logan hall's there and they get a chance to move back into the early mid 30s like that's a deal i think they would take it's just a matter of if that deal is going to materialize because there has to be a player available that other teams want to move up. And that's why I think it's more likely than not that the Bengals kind of stay put at 31 because they will have options. Tyler Linderbaum is over under right now. It's 27 and a half, but there's just an infinite number of buzz that says he's going to fall out of the first round entirely, which would mean the Bengals would pass on him as well, which might just be a reality that a lot of people have to start accepting. So we're a week away mm-hmm. from the draft. A lot of things are starting to come together now. Just a quick update on where Vegas and where you know experts and media members believe that these where these guys are going to go. So we can start tempering our expectations on a lot of these things right now. Well, it's good to know. It's good information. And of course, with the draft being in Vegas, getting Vegas odds on some of these just makes oh so much sense in a lot of different regards. But yeah. uh you know, you mentioned a couple of positions there, a couple of different positions, namely interior defensive lineman and cornerback. And those two are two of the top positional needs, one would assume, for the Cincinnati Bengals going forward here as they look to shore up their roster before the draft. Yeah, I think overall there's like five positions that populate the most Bengals mock drafts. You have, in no particular order, um, tight end, guard or interior offensive lineman defensive tackle specifically three technique cornerback and safety all for good reasons all for various different reasons and like there's the the conversation about you know prioritizing positions of need and ranking those positions of need and i feel like we can go different ways with that but for me i think a more interesting conversation is which of these positions if you were to rank them require premium talent like the most or maybe you can go off without having premium talent because i mean the Bengals aren't the jets this year they don't have four picks in the top 40 they have three picks in the top 100 and one of them is the 95th pick they have 31 63 95 and i feel like when you go through these mock drafts and you're making them and whatnot you're always kind of sacrificing one or two positions where you aren't able to pick a position early and you have to sacrifice some talent of one of those positions or maybe two of them and it's a little bit frustrating because when you're doing these mock drafts you want to make sure all your bases are covered right you don't want to neglect a certain position or whatnot but you just kind of have to and then just have to kind of have to go with how the draft is rolling at that point and i feel like we have to talk about what which of these positions actually require premium talent and you can only really get premium talent with those top two or three picks that's the, those are the picks that you think have the potential to develop into high quality starters and everything after that is just hoping that they make the roster and contribute in some way. So out of these five positions that we mentioned, tight end guard three technique cornerback and safety, if you were to rank them, not necessarily in what is the biggest need right now on the roster, 
but just ranking them in terms of which positions need premium talent the most, not just for this year, but for going forward. How would you rank these five? I have my rankings, but I want to hear yours first. Okay, so you've got uh, this isn't my ranking, but just just to you got corner, safety, tight end, uh, interior defensive line, and what what was the other one Guard. you mentioned there? Guard. Okay. Right. I, I, there's so many variables that you would want to use here in terms of positional value and where the Bengals are roster wise and all, and all of that. I, I would venture, you know, when I look at immediate immediate need, I, I still I think corner has to be up there. I think that that's probably at the top of the list. I actually think, um, you know, I, I would probably say corner. I would say interior defensive line. I would say tight end. I, I would be persuaded, though, to p- potentially bump up tight end on that on that list. Um, just because that, that even with Hayden Hurst there, that cupboard's pretty bare. Um, and I, I like, you know, from the get go, I liked some of the things from Mitchell Wilcox, but he was, I mean, truth be told, he was an undrafted free agent. So, I mean, it's like, it is what it is. So I, I would be persuaded to potentially bump up tight end there. Then I would say safety. And I would actually put guard last on that just because of what they did in free agency and the quotes we just went over at the beginning of this episode and from Brian Callahan earlier quotes from Frank Pollock, I think at the combine or the, you know, the owner's meetings, whatever that, that came out earlier, but you know, I would actually put as, as much as they did in free agency, I would put guard toward the bottom of that totem pole in terms of positional need for the Bengals as they enter the draft. Yeah. And that's different than saying that like, yeah, sure. They could use a guard right now because they don't have a solid answer, but in terms of like, if you need like quality players right now or just in the future going forward compared to or in, re- in relation to what you already have, what you're expected to have moving forward, the conversation differs. And which is why I agree, like cornerback to me is still number one, not only in terms of a guy that can compete with Eli Apple going forward, but it's not just the fact that Eli Apple is slated at the start. He's on a one year deal and there's right. also no one behind him. Like, I feel like that's being left out in these discussions. They have no depth at boundary cornerback outside of a woozy like Trey Flowers technically could fill in, but that's not really his role within this defense. If Eli Apple or woozy gets injured, they're they're SOL. Like they have no bodies there. And mm-hmm. it's not just Eli Apple on a one year deal. GW Woozy is only under contract for two more years. And some of these cornerbacks they may they may take a year or two to really develop. And maybe you want a guy that can, you know, take Awuzie's place in two years to be that number one cornerback. I feel like that kind of moves cornerback just naturally up the totem pole along with just the positional value and also looking at what the Bengals are good at right now and where their strengths are like safety is one of their best positions both of those guys are free agents and the defense relies so much on that elite play from Jesse Bates it relies on the versatility and the multiple roles of Von Bell and if you don't have one of those guys then you better be able to compensate you know in, in terms of getting the replacement there so which is why I have safety out of all positions at number two for me because mm. of what they're used mm. to right now and the fact that they don't have any long-term stability there. And it's just be, it's just risen in terms of positional value, not only within the Bengals, but around the entire league just to stop some of these high-powered offenses. And then I, I still don't have offense here. I have three technique at three because they have no one behind P.J. Hill, just like they have no one behind Eli Apple at cornerback. They need, they, they need a guy who can fill in that Larry Ogunjobi role and play 500, 700 snaps in tandem and alongside with BJ Hill and also play a little bit of five technique as well. And having any long-term stability and depth there is very important. Just in the rotation of the pass rush. I feel like the defense is just so lacking of that high level talent because they, they have a lot of cohesive pieces that work together, but not really anyone that truly stands out on, on their own. There's just a lot of guys who really work really well within the system and the defense could really benefit by having some of those premium guys, which is why guard and tight end in that order kind of fall last for me because of how solid the offensive line is right now and how just naturally any piece, any fifth piece that you fill in there will be benefited by having four very stable starters surrounding them. And with tight end, it, I understand that there's no long-term stability there because Hurst and Sample are only under contract for one year and Hayden Hurst in this offense is more or less a projection but I think just in general, having three high-quality receivers here for the next two years and having Joe Mixon tight end is more or less kind of an afterthought. And you don't really need a ton of production or a ton of ability there. You you would definitely like it. It's definitely a luxury to have. But 
I think compared to these other needs, you have it just has to kind of take a back seat. So are you? Are, I I heard part of your reasoning there. Um, are you also worried that if the Bengals draft, even if it is a Trey McBride, if it is Dulcich from UCLA, if it is you know uh, someone who seems to be of the more athletic pass catching ilk at tight end, are you just worried that they maybe early on will just not see the field behind Hurst all that much and just not have the impact that one would hope you would in drafting a player with probably what would be a somewhat or would be a premium pick for that position. Right. I, th- I think it's, it's a multitude of things. Like I, if I draft a tight end at 63 or even 95, like I'm not, I'm still not expecting him to contribute that much this year, just because I think Hayden Hurst is primed to have a big role. And I, I don't think they want to take that away from him. I think they want him to kind of capitalize on that, but also it, it's, if you draft a tight end that high, that's really the the whole basis of this discussion is if you draft a tight end that high, you're sacrificing not taking another position and not filling that position with a potential premium talent. The the later that you wait to draft that safety or to draft that defensive tackle, the more likely it is that that player is not going to develop into a quality or high quality starter. That's just the risk that you take. Sometimes it does end up being a Geno Atkins or Georgia look or Marvin Jones. It doesn't, hasn't really happened in, God, 10 years since those players were drafted. They haven't had a lot of luck in day three of, of the draft and developing some of those guys. And I think that's just the sandbox that we have to play with. And now, like if they want quality players, they have to draft them or the best chance of drafting them is within the first three rounds. And it's just where do you prioritize? What, what positions truly do need that type of talent? And with tight end specifically, I feel like it just doesn't compare to the other positions. So I had uh corner. Then I had interior defensive line, I had tight end, I had safety, and then I had guard. You had just for review because I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question here. You had uh, corner, right? Mm-hmm. And then you had safety. interior de- safety, then interior defensive line, right? Yep. And then guard, and then tight end last. Right. Okay. How I, now? That's you as you playing general manager. How much do you think? based on your opinions and your thoughts of that, how much do you think the Bengals opinions line up with your rankings there in terms of, Hey, we got to address these probably in this order going into this year's draft. I think, it, I think it's actually much closer to yours than, than mine. I think corner still hmm. one in their mind, but I think defensive tackle is probably two just because it's more, it's more of an immediate need. It's something that they've harped on a lot, like just interior pressure and just depth of that position. Then I would have either safety or tight end at three for them. Maybe it ha- maybe it's tight end because they might still have confidence that at least one of Von Bell or Jesse Bates is coming back in 2023. But I think we, I think all three of us and the third being the Bengals front office are in alignment here. That offensive lineman just doesn't, it doesn't require that, that premium talent that it has, required in the past couple years just because of everything that they've done and the fact that they still want to develop some of the guys that they have so i think i think we're all in agreement that offensive lineman is probably at the bottom of the totem pole right now yeah i i it's funny you say you think they would be more in alignment with me because i felt the exact opposite i feel like they may be more in alignment with yours but you know it's just with the safety thing for me and and tight end even a little bit, but that has changed recently. You know, when you go back to Jermaine Gresham being a first round pick, Tyler Eifert being a first round pick, they just you know it, for me, I I can't get out of the mode that they just seemingly don't value those positions and guard as well. I mean, they they made some splashes this year, obviously, but they just haven't valued those positions as highly. And I can't I can't sit here and say you know put place those at the top of the list even with or without some of the acquisitions they've made yeah i'm like they haven't drafted the defensive lineman in the first round in quite a long time i think justin smith was the last i don't even i don't even think i was alive when they drafted the safety in the first round the last time that might have been like the 80s when is, i think it was daryl williams. williams yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah like, like 90 they, or 91 or like, <laughs> i gotta i gotta go back and look at that yeah. right that uh, could be a remember when, but yeah, for tight end, it's been like the opposite. Like not only not only did they draft Gresham and Eifert in the first round, and they drafted Eifert when Gresham was still there, but even when they haven't drafted in the first round, Drew Sample was a second round pick. Tyler Croft and CJ Uzama came within the same class. So when they feel like there's a need at tight end, they haven't really been afraid to attack it, which is why I would expect 
between like rounds three and five that they would pick one. And I feel like that's the smart area to pick one because the majority of great tight ends in the league have come from that area. And I'm not really sure the reasoning why behind that. I don't know why some of the best tight ends kind of fall through the cracks or maybe the NFL in itself just always tricks itself every year that you have to wait to draft a tight end. And then by just naturally, these guys are available there and then they pull the trigger, but it's usually the same type of guys. It's guys who are really fast, just overall great athletes that don't really have to always dominate in terms of college production, but they need those athletic traits and they could use some, some youth on their side to really develop. Well, we'd like to hear from you all, the listeners, in terms of what you think the Bengals should do and where their positional need rankings lie. So if you want to tweet at us at Bengals OBI or one of our own personal Twitter accounts and and give your rankings, do so. If you want to leave those in the comments while we're still recording here, you can do that. Or after the fact, if you're listening after and you want to leave some of those comments, let us know. We'd love to interact with you and we w- we'd love to hear some opinions. And of course, you could leave that on Cincy Jungle on the post that we have promoting the podcast and stream where we stream the podcast and whatnot. So let us know. We want to hear yours. But I, I think we know the usual suspects at this point. Like we mentioned, we have the same at least we're, we're talking about the same five position groups, right? It's not, it's, we're not going outside of that bubble. So uh, yeah, get, let us know if you've got, if you've got some rankings that you want to share with us, we'll uh, we'd love to hear those. That being said, John, our player profile this week is in one of those positions of need. However, there's a caveat. He's not really the three tech tech position that they need in terms of a true pass rushing interior defensive lineman. I went with this guy because I've been, you know, sifting through some mocks and some of those show up on my Twitter timeline and all kinds of different things. And there was one, I, you know, that, that popped up. I really can't remember which one it was to be quite honest with you. I've seen a lot. So I wish I could credit the exact one, but this player was mocked to the Bengals in the middle of the, draft i believe it was a fourth round pick and you know we talk about guys that you know will be a first round pick second round pick potentially those are usually the guys that we profile on here because those are bigger names a little bit more well known this is a guy who probably will be at best a round three pick in this year's class more likely a day three pick of some kind because of some positional limitations and what teams look for out of interior defensive linemen in various capacities these days Still, he's a guy that that flashes some things that really intrigues you. And I, I'm going to hopefully pronounce his name. The way I've under, understood his name to be pronounced is Otito Obonia. And he is an yeah, interior defensive lineman from UCLA. A guy I knew a little bit about just watching some Pac-12, but I, I kind of watched some more things and got into him more as I have seen him mocked to the Bengals. And, you know, when you see the Logan Hall's mock to the Bengals and you see the uh, Travis Joneses and whatnot mock to the Bengals as, you know, kind of some of these interior linemen in the first couple of rounds, you know, those are kind of some of the usual suspect names, but we have to remember too, John, even whether it's a three tech like a Geno Atkins, whether it's a true big dude like Pat Sims, the, the, the gap eater, the, the run stopper guy like a Pat Sims third round, Fourth round, that's their bread and butter where they like to get a lot of defensive tackles traditionally, and they have done so with Duke Tobin. They did so as as recently as last year when you look at Tyler Shelvin on uh, to start off day three. You look at Cam Sample, kind of a versatile defensive lineman that played outside, play a little inside on some pass rushing situations. So they like those mid-rounds to potentially find I – mean, and, and the list goes on and on and on about defense. I mean, Geno Atkins, Pat Sims, Andrew Billings – Tyler Shelvin. I mean, those mid-round guys is uh, that's where they like to go with uh, a lot of times for some of these guys that maybe not the premium names in the in the in the draft, but a player that they feel could help them in either a rotational basis or something of that nature. So here is a little bit on uh, Otito Obonia. I will. Um, full screen this for everybody to look at here again UCLA 64 324 big old guy a senior he's 21 turns 22 uh late it will in the regular season here he had 29 bench press reps which is the most for a defensive player at the combine actually had 31 but they docked two because of some uh technicalities in terms of how he was bench pressing I guess but at the same time strong guy big guy the other thing with him, John, 
And this is where I get confused on who this player actually is and what he can do. You know, there you see here, here are some of the stats and accolades, 27 total tackles last year, five of them for loss. He did have two sacks, not necessarily known as a true pass rusher type of guy, but got to the quarterback a couple times, got in the backfield a few times last year. Uh, did have, uh, we have a little bit of a typo there, did have one forced fumble last year. And then, of course, we have 22, uh, the 2022 78.3 pass rush grade, second team uh, all pack 12 as graded by PFF there. So you can see there's there's some stats there. There's some things to like. And when you when you move on here, this is where some of the questions come up, right? There's some pros where you say, hey, he's he's an athlete because he played track early in his career at UCLA and football. Uh, he's got ideal size, length, and strength. When you talk about arm length, he had like the fifth longest arms at the combine for defensive linemen. I mentioned the 6'4", 325 size, the bench press, all of that. Um, you know, you can see 4'3", nose, maybe some work on some multiple fronts. And then he's got the high character, good work ethic by most accounts. Is he a limited athlete, though, in terms of, you know, when he's out there actually playing, even though he's played multiple sports? Is he just a big, strong guy? And this, by the way, this is a unique clip from the Senior Bowl. This is him going up against, I believe, Zion Johnson here. And Zion had some trouble with him. Uh, and Zion Johnson looking like, you know, he's a guy that's probably going to be a first, late first round pick. Here's a couple of reps here uh, that we'll, we'll share just to kind of finish up a little bit here. But here he just beats him. Right. Uh, and, and the first time there was actually there was kind of some joking there about, you know, a holding penalty or holding flags uh, in the drills. They don't normally do that at the senior bowl. But, you know, in a couple reps there, he had beat Zion Johnson once where Zion was holding him. And then he just beat him right off the snap there when Zion was doing some interior. I think he was playing kind of a center center position there on that drill. But my, my point is, is when you look at this player, you know, it, he's a multi-sport athlete. So you, you like that he's athletic. But when you look at kind of the lower body, when you look at the speed, and I'll, I'll bring up his RAS in a minute here, um, there's some real questions on his actual athleticism. So the question is, is he a, a good athletic football player or is he just a big, strong guy? Because I think in track his event was was shot put. So is he yeah. just a big, strong guy? And just because he's big and strong, he did some nice things in college. And that's kind of that and won't translate well in the NFL. Uh, but I, I don't know how much you've looked at this guy. I'll pull up his RAS in a minute, but I don't know if you have some initial thoughts on him. His RAS is going to be dominated by the fact that he's 6'3", 320, but I mean, that's 4531, I believe it was at that size. I think that puts him in the 32nd percentile for yeah. all nose tackles since like the 2000 draft. He is a track athlete. He didn't run track. So, I, I you know, am I going to catch flack here for saying that, you know, sh shot put throwers and discus throwers aren't necessarily like track athletes i know it's like still in the name but like he, he didn't run so like i feel like with track it kind of comes with like oh you ran but no he, i think he chose ucla because he wanted to play football and track which is really cool like i think that does take a certain level of balance and athleticism but for a defensive tackle like he's he's a nose like he's 300 only almost 330 pounds doesn't have mm -hmm. any real production profile of a guy who can rush the passer and again like he i don't think he tested i think he had a hamstring injury at the combine, which is why he didn't have a, a full testing profile, but a five three one forty as pro day when he, presumably he was maybe a little bit more healthy. Like he's not expected to penetrate any gaps. He's supposed to hold his own, and I feel like he was just adequate at best at that at UCLA. So I, I just look at a guy who, yeah, he's he's a decent football player. He's he's still young, and there might be some room for growth in terms of athleticism because he's still young, but. The lack of production does kind of scare me, even though he's like a nose tackle and his job is mostly just to plug the gaps. But most of those good nose tackles in college to end up being good nose tackles in the NFL, they still are, you know, around the ball a decent amount and, and get into the backfield. And that just wasn't really the case. 21 forced fumbles. Just kidding. No. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> he, did, he did have two, though, in, in college. And he did play a lot in college. So, like, he was a starter, I believe, in 2018. And then he continued all four years as a starter, he did miss, he, he did miss a little time here and there, but I mean, all in all, I, th I think he's a solid player. If it takes a third round pick to pick him, I think that might be a little bit too early. You just might let some other team just take that risk because again, 
there's not a ton to go off here. Like you don't know the rest of his athleticism. The production is not great. The potential to be a pass rusher is not high. And then from a Bengals lens, they have three nose tackles on the roster under contract the for, the next, yep. for the next two years. So like what, what is his role going to be? If, if you want him on the team, just, you know, to be like a reserve at this position, then you might as well wait as long as possible to pick him. But again, if it takes a third, fourth round pick to select him, it's almost like you're better off just maybe selecting someone else. Yeah, this, you know, this is a guy that sometimes has been linked to the Bengals. But like you said, there are some, you know, they're deep at, at this specific role. You may be able to, you know, place him in certain other for you know areas on the line but he's he's pretty limited in terms of what you can do there and he you know he's just he's basically you know the the one technique uh four three nose like you said and and here's the ras score 4.75 overall the great size grade but very poor speed grade and and you know not, not nothing there with explosion or agility here's the thing I don't know if this is going to make sense or not and when, when I say this, but he's a guy that shows, and you can see on if you go back to that Senior Bowl practice tape there, and I'm going to put the link to that uh, that video in our live chats, and I'll put it, I'll pin it in our uh, show description as well, so you can kind of see that for yourself and uh, check out that. But he's a guy that is known to get pass blockers to penetrate and and get pass blockers. It's what does he do when he when he's there? Right yeah. when he gets past the block, the limited athleticism and the size, he has the size and the strength to get past blocks, the bull rush and all of that. He can get past blocks. He has shown that. The problem is, is when he's there and has penetrated, his limited athleticism doesn't necessarily doesn't necessarily allow him to make the wow play, the the quarterback sack, the big tackle for loss, etc. So. I think that's if, is, if that makes sense, that's kind of my takeaway in reading about him and watching him. He can get past blocks. There's no doubt about it. It's just what does he do when he's there? There's just not a ton of production after getting past the block. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think it comes down to like, what what is your plan as a pass rusher? Are you winning just off just pure size, brute strength and speed and whatnot? Is that going to fly in the next level when, you know, the offensive line are a little more competent with their hands? But getting into the backfield like you said is half the battle like finding the ball carrier keeping your pads squared to 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 the line and, and keep you keeping your feet moving and having some sense of balance that's all that's all part of actually finishing the plays like the the penetration and the the pressure is only half the battle it's actually finishing it that actually counts on the stat sheet and on the score on the score sheet and actually finishing the play so i, I think an interesting pro prospect altogether i think what is the most intriguing is the fact that he's already physically developed at this point like almost 35 inch arms 330 pounds almost and he's only 21 years old so there's there's a lot to like there that he's physically mature but there's still more that you could probably get out of him it's just a matter of how much do you want to risk taking a guy that hasn't had a lot of production has an incomplete athletic profile he probably does find himself in the middle of the draft for those reasons and if the Bengals feel like they can carve out a role from for him maybe may, like maybe they see him as a five technique maybe they see him as a guy that can play uh, you know head heads up with the tackle because of that length and a guy that can, that can hold his own in a two gap perspective maybe that is the role that they see for him i i don't know but i, I think all the other factors indicate that he's probably going to be in that fourth maybe fifth round range and if he goes early uh, good luck to that team yeah, I don't I don't necessarily think he's going to be a Cincinnati Bengal. If they chose him, that would probably signal some trouble potentially for Tyler Shelvin. Um, you know, that, that he didn't get a lot of time last year. Or like you said, maybe they've got some alternative plans um for for him to move him around in a couple different spots. But uh, I wouldn't necessarily bank on him being a Cincinnati Bengal. I've just seen him mocked and talked about a handful of times to the Bengals and a guy, obviously pack 12 and some of that, you know, length, size, weight, strength profile just kind of jumps at you. Right. And so you say, you know, how does this guy potentially make sense for the Bengals if at all? So, so what, what are we up to now? Well, that's, that's, I think it's at least four pack 12 prospects that we've talked about. Well, yeah, Gordon, Drake Jackson, Abonia. Right. So, so only three, only three, and it's not not all USC. Yeah. So we 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 can't. Yeah, you you did Gordon, my friend. You, I, I, you did, I did. I did. Yeah. I did. Yeah. 
but still talented players. And uh, we'll, we'll do a couple more here before the draft kicks off. And obviously as the Bengals draft class gets announced, they pick, they make the picks. We're going to be obviously spotlighting the picks that they do make on the show. So we're going to start wrapping up. I'm going to be quick with this. Remember when John, but basically with this, before we drop the mic, I want to go back to 20. Well, first of all, let's talk about 2011. The Bengals obviously were in a major transition that year. And as we know, that draft class, the 2011 class, AJ Green, Andy Dalton, Clint Bowling, that class is largely credited and for good reason for the big turnaround with the Cincinnati Bengals and that great run they had as an organization still netted zero playoff wins, but still a great run from 2011 through 2015, where they made five consecutive playoff appearances, almost pulled off a big win against the Pittsburgh Steelers, but that did not come to be. However, I just want to give a shout out to a couple of draft classes before that, that I think also get, I think people talk about it, but they don't get as much credit as they maybe should for helping shape those those draft classes. And I think it's because one specific class came in a year that was such a bad year on the field in 2010. And so when you look back at the 2009 and 2010 draft classes by the Cincinnati Bengals, you'll see a lot of pro bowlers. You'll see a lot of players who started a lot of games for the Bengals and did so largely in effective roles and guys who made a lot of money and had long Bengals careers. So I want to I want to just spotlight those picks and just kind of give them a shout out because yes the 2011 Bengals draft class was huge for the team. There is no doubt about that. I just want to go over some of these again and let folks know what the Bengals were doing in those in the, basically those three draft classes that really shaped the rest of the way and not so much just the 2011 class. So you look at Andre Smith. Yeah, there are some early issues with that player, but he ended up steadying the right tackle position for a handful of years and playing some some decent ball for the Bengals. Ray Maluga, an imperfect linebacker, but still an impactful one in some ways. And, uh, you know, played a couple of, he played outside a little bit earlier in his career. And then he played obviously the middle. Uh, Ray Maluga there, the second round pick in 2009. Then you got Michael Johnson, your third round pick there. You go down here, Kevin Huber still on the team, right? Morgan Trent played some special teams and uh, nickel corner and whatnot. Bernard Scott started a couple of games at running back kick returner, kind of a, a, a you know, a mix up back to uh, Cedric Benson and whatnot. You got Clinton McDonald, who was part of the uh, wonderful, wonderful trade, I believe, for uh, Brian Leonard, <laughs> if you remember how that one worked out. So, I mean, you look at all of those and you say, yeah, I mean, not, we're not drafting Hall of Famers here, but you look at those first three picks. Those are all contributors, obviously, at high levels. You look at the punter, Morgan Trent, Bernard Scott, et cetera. I mean, those are those are players not necessarily to sneeze at. And then, of course, when you look at 2010, this is where you get guys that you're talking potential Hall of Fame. When you're talking about the fourth round pick, we already mentioned him. Geno Atkins, there's a lot a lot more misses in this class, but Gresham, for the drops and other issues he had, still made a couple Pro Bowls and had, uh, you know, some decent statistical seasons for the team. You had Dunlap, who he and he and Atkins are the, you know, the franchise leaders and quarterback sacks. Dunlap made a couple of Pro Bowls, and we know, you know, he, he was a, a good player for this team for a long time. And then, of course, you have Atkins in the fourth round, and that – while the 2011 team kind of had, you know, all of the tent poles with Dalton and Green and all of that, you got to look at these as well and say, you know, that's why the Bengals were so were able to so quickly transition well out of the Carson Palmer era and go right into the Andy Dalton, A.J. Green era because they had some talent on on both sides of the ball that they accumulated in the past two draft classes. Michael John or Michael Johnson. Carlos Dunlap and Geno Atkins being just 10 year veterans for the team, two of them being incredibly high quality, all being drafted outside of the first round. I feel like started that belief in them that they can find defensive ta- defensive line talent in that range and they don't have to utilize first round picks. And I feel like that, that also started the, like the archetype of that Marvin Lewis defensive end, the guys who were six, six and above and 270 pounds, 280 pounds and above long arms 
and they mm. kind of had to get over that because you know Michael Johnson and Carlos Dunlap were were just rare talents, and they carved out phenomenal careers for, for each of them. And Dunlap is still going, so having dumped both Dunlap and Gino in one draft, like the other picks, be damned. Like it's a shame what happened to Shipley, and nothing else that happened after yeah. that really mattered. But having both those guys in the same class is phenomenal. Chase Kaufman drafted ten years too early. I, or yeah, too yeah. early. I think is what uh, my friend Ryan Patrick said. Like, if he was drafted w- when Drew Sample was drafted with that skill set, I feel like he probably would have done a little bit better in his NFL career. Yeah, yeah, and they they really wanted to work on his blocking. And in this, you know, this day and age in this NFL, uh, the way NFL operate, uh, NFL offenses operate today. I mean, he'd be a guy that you know he may be a niche guy in an offense, but I think he would. Uh, have far more statistical output than he did um, when when he was drafted and whatnot. So anyway, some, some could have been, but some great, great players and likely a hall of famer and Geno Atkins in that, in that class there. So, you know, again, credit to the 2011 class, obviously, but you know, I think a lot of people mistakenly thought that the cupboard was incredibly bare at that point when in fact they had some real young talented players on the roster because of those two classes. So that's my remember when this week. They just needed some Andy Dalton and AJ Green in their lives, you know? Just, That's it. Just a resurgence. That's it. That's yep. it. What do you got for us to drop the mic, John, and get us on out of here? So we actually had some minor breaking news during the program. Uh, Auburn defensive back Smoke Monday has met virtually with the Colts, Broncos, Bears, Ravens, Buccaneers, and Bengals. So if mm. Smoke Monday being reported that he met with the Bengals on the 20th of April is not a sign for some of you out there, there's your sign. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even put that together all of a sudden. Yeah, good one there. I like that. That's funny. Uh, I don't really have much. I, I, I guess I just kind of uh, spent it all on my remember when there, but I just want to remind folks that they can get this show on their favorite audio streamer, which is iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of the major ones. We are there as well as on YouTube. Go click that icon beneath John and beneath that Cincy Jungle logo to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available. And of course we'll be bringing you all kinds of different stuff for the draft. We're still working out potentially still being at the draft. We have credentials there. We're working all that out. So hopefully we will be there at least for part of it and bring you some on-site stuff there. We'll work on that. But in the meantime, hope you like what we're doing on this show, as well as on the Cincy jungle podcast channel, we're going to keep, cranking out content for you. John, have a good rest of the week, my friend, and we will talk soon. We will talk soon. All right. Take care.